much, Jeff Braun. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. She is Loren McNabb. Joining us once again, Global TV evening anchor extraordinaire. What do you think of the drive-in? Uh, no cars, so it's actually the best drive I've ever had to the Polo Park area. <laughs> the commute ever. is outstanding. The commute is outstanding. You guys complained about Keniston. I don't know what you're talking about. If you do it at 4 a.m., <laughs> there's no problem whatsoever. I remember when I used to fill in for Brian Barkley, I would uh, do a first hit at 5.30 in the morning. For a long time, our morning show started at 5.30, and I would say, if you can get up and go to work now, do it. <laughs> because it'll be the most stress-free drive slash commute you'll ever have. And do then it. I was so excited to go to the mall after because I don't even like coming out here uh, sure. on the weekends because by the time you get to that one section, you know, Sterling Line, Keniston, moving in, you're just, your hair, you're pulling it out. Well, so. you're an anti-polo uh, parker. Not anti. I am anti-sitting in traffic, having the kids, you know, wondering when we're going to get there and we're not going to Calgary or something. <laughs> we're just trying to get to the mall. So. An hour and 15 minutes to get from your house to the mall. Yeah, it's typically not worth it because there's a window there too, right? Once you get there with the kids. Oh boy, no. They're yeah. only interested yeah. for so 12 long. minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a rush. So. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I love the drive in the morning. The ride home is also not bad because it's not at a peak time. I can't stand anytime I get stuck in any sort of traffic because of the morning drive. I'm I'm, I get so angry at any amount of traffic. I'm really spoiled by the, the 4 a.m. drive. Well, what the 4 a.m. drive highlights for me is how out of sync our traffic signals are. Because from Portage and Maine to Polo Park this morning, I was thinking about it because I've been getting increasingly frustrated with it. I stopped at Memorial. Then I had to stop again at Broadway. Then I got stopped at a red light at Valor Road. And then if I'd been going past St. James Street, it was red as well. But of course, I yield and come north on, on St. James. I think that's five stops at five o'clock in the morning on Portage Avenue. Hello. That's interesting that you point out Memorial, too, because usually the odd time that I go up Portage Avenue, often on a Sunday evening after coming home from my parents, I can get from Main Street almost to Memorial without stopping uh, if I'm doing the speed limit. You get, it's almost like you're being punished for doing the speed limit. Are you reading my mind again? Because <laughs> I was going to say exactly that. The only way to get through the red light, the pending red light at Memorial, yeah. is if you do 60 when you should be doing 50. Yep. And you should be. it should be synchronized and should be timed the other way so that when you're speeding, you get penalized. Not the other. You shouldn't be rewarded for going 60 in a 50. Yeah, but the ones, where is there a good synchronized system? I think on, uh, if you go... Broadway. York. Yeah. Marion's not bad. Marion's not bad? If you, yeah, Marion actually works fairly well. Okay. Uh, I, I've, then that, that's always been the one street since I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. I remember a buddy of mine pointing it out. Marion's actually really synchronized. As long as there's not a train. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's where karma comes back to get you, right? It's, it, it giveth and it taketh away. And uh, so usually one out of every five tries on Marion, I have to sit and wait uh, at the train. But yeah, the, that street seems to be okay but I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head. Yeah, well, anyway, that's, uh, there's our commentary on uh, traffic <laughs> at 4 a.m. Mackley, McGarry, and McNabb on this Friday. Congratulations if the weekend starts for you tomorrow. Uh, you made it through another work week. Yeah, that's I'm, nice. It you're feels ready good. for the weekend, I'm ready. aren't you? I, I, kudos to you guys, everybody in the studio, because this morning show shift is uh, it's different.
It's hard to go to sleep at 7 p.m. Are you still yeah. mad at me for sending you this last night? <laughs> <laughs> I was never mad at you, just mad in general. Because I've I, never I, seen you use that word in an email. And how do you make the how do you make the font larger like that? It just felt my rage. <laughs> It just, the, the computer responded to my rage. Uh-huh. Oh, I found this on Mashable. And uh, the, the American Weather, National Weather Service in the United States is suggesting a frigid February is on the horizon. Polar vortex. Remember that word oh, from a I couple years ago, phrase. McNabb? I hate it. Yeah. yeah. Polar vortex poised to bring ultra cold air to Canada and the United States. And the heart of that polar vortex lives just north of Lake Superior, so we are not about 600 kilometers to the west Why of the heart. Why would it live anywhere else? Why wouldn't it just come right vortex. here? Yeah, if you needed any other reason to go even to Alaska, where they've had the warmest <laughs> December they've ever had, British Columbia, California, now's the time. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, when I saw that email, I thought, no. Because I knew, you always know that when you get a break in Winnipeg in the winter that inevitably it will be cold again. But you always hope you know, you can always hope against hope. Oh, it's mild. Maybe it'll stay. And then I pulled up my weather app to confirm. And sure enough, minus 21, minus 22 for about a, at least a 10-day stretch. So that kind of sucks, but whatever. I did the same thing when you sent that email last night because I thought guys. maybe that source was wrong. So oh, I <laughs> double-checked a few weather apps. Yeah. I've been yeah. having some other fun with math that I'll share with you later on this morning. I tweeted it out. And I've done some calculations on projections for the Winnipeg Jets. This year, they lost last night in a shootout, but they've got seven of their last eight points. I've projected their points total based on how they've played so far, and the number is startling. So, uh, if you'd like to see it now, go to my Twitter account, GMAC WPG GMAC Winnipeg, and uh, you can see my math there, or you can stick around. We'll share it with you a little bit later on in the morning. Yeah, because you were quite vehemently working on that. in the vigorously working on that in the CJOB newsroom. I felt like Sheldon Cooper, I must <laughs> confess. Yeah, actually, I think I heard you say, oh, I really love Mac. <laughs> and I don't think you meant it in a literal sense. No, no, sometimes I do. Oh. Sometimes I really do love math. Okay. All right, I just thought you were angry with all the calculations. No, I, I love, I calculate stuff over and over and over. I love that stuff. Uh, one quick final note on the, the long-range forecast. And McNabb, I don't know if uh, your phone is showing this, but I'm looking at the weather networks app so starting thursday february 1st uh, the high is minus 20 and then down to uh, thursday february 8th minus 17 and then friday february 9th <laughs> it says a high of minus one and a low of minus 30 what a swing that's so crazy i think that's uh, sometimes there the 14 day right. forecast is it doesn't know I, the computer doesn't I love in the summertime when on the weather network you'll be watching the fort. They have the fourteen day graph and it spikes up to like plus thirty seven because, you know the calculator, the algorithm told it to, and they just like yeah we'll go with that. That's why no one tried. Like even last night when you said that article, it's you don't trust it because it can just do those crazy things. Right? I just want to drop the phrase polar vortex. Yeah. From our vernacular well, just, forever. Sometimes we just need justification. So you know why God invented uh, economists, right? No. It's to make uh, weather people look good. (laughs) Poor Mike Conkin is sitting somewhere crying. We'll talk. (laughs) Why do I feel like I want to fight someone when I hear music like this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Mackling and McGarry, along with Loren and McNabb. For one more day, come back next week. 
I'll come back next week. <laughs> We're going to talk to the bosses about that. <laughs> 6.36 on this Friday morning. And do you remember this? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the XFL. Vince McMahon, or as he used to refer to himself, Mr. McMahon. In WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. That was back in 1980, 1999, pardon me, when uh, WWE was at sort of the height of its attitude era and was a huge, uh, it was actually, you know, it had crossed over into the mainstream thanks to guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, thanks to guys like The Rock. And Vince McMahon decided to launch a football league. And I was super excited about it because of people of, were. because I was a big wrestling fan, and I thought, well, Vince McMahon has done lots of cool things with wrestling. Let's see what he can do with football. Maybe it'll be entertaining. And of course, it was a spectacular failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, NBC got on board right away. They'd lost the <clears throat> NFL, and if you get the opportunity to watch the thirty for thirty on the history of the XFL, the one season history of the XFL, the story is absolutely fascinating. Well, here's a clip from that. Of selling out the dark side of gratuitous violence, tawdry titillation. I'm passionate about my football. Lousy football. Uh, you got to be. scripted low life garbage. The guy couldn't wait to get off the field. He's afraid of it. If you smile, what the XFL is cooking. So then yesterday, yeah! <laughs> you send me a text message. That leads to this. The new XFL will kick off in 2020. And quite frankly, we're going to give the game of football back to fans. I'm sure everyone has a lot of questions for me. but uh, Yes, Vince McMahon bringing back the XFL. What? Have you lost your mind, Vince? So, yeah, almost 20 years later, he wants to bring back... Uh, what is it, probably the biggest failure of his life? I just don't get it at all. So must have a lot more money than the rest of us, first of all, because it was it, it was was a spectacular failure. And then to go back to it and say, you know what, let's reinvest, like do this again. What are they going to do differently? Well, they're promising shorter games. Right. They're promising that things will be uh, less uh, sanitized. Uh, real football, kind of real hitting. And I, I think there's there's a portion of the American public that watch football that feels that the NFL's been pansified, that uh, the, there's no more helmet-to-helmet contact. Uh, the way you tackle a guy has to be done in a certain fashion to prevent injury, these sorts of things. There are football purists out there who don't buy the whole CTE link to concussion long-term effects on athletes and connecting it to football in any way. They say these guys know what they're getting into, and if that's the way, if that's the sport they want to play, and if that's the way they want to make a living, well, then you know what? On the other end, if you can't walk and you can't remember your name or your kid's uh, birthday, uh, you knew that was part of the deal. Yeah, I uh, just remember the excitement that I had. I got together with a few friends. We on a Saturday night to watch that first XFL game. Vince came out and did his speech. He cut that wrestling style promo, and we thought this is kind of cool. And uh, the football then ended up being terrible. And you had the guys, of course, who he hate me is the the, the poster child for the league, the way that they didn't have to put their names on their jersey. They could put whatever they wanted. Rod Smart, who actually played in the CFL for a little while. I went up to a little bit of an NFL career as well. Yeah, it was interesting. But what was the most distinctive thing about the XFL? The scariest thing in retrospect. They didn't do a coin toss. What did they do? 
Oh, they did. Well, here, let's let Dick Butkus. This is uh, from the very first game, before the very first game in the XFL. You know, in the past, all football games get started with a coin toss. No way, Jose. Here we are in the XFL. We're going to compete for the right to choose who possesses the ball at the start of the game. Two players, one ball. Whoever possesses the ball gets his choice, not only for the start of the game, but also for overtime, should that be necessary. Good luck, guys. So two guys, the football field is put in the middle of the field, two guys have to race after it, and one of the guys in that first scramble, Shamsid Dean, he suffered a separated or Hassan Shamsidin, he suffered a separated shoulder. He played for the Orlando Rage. Separated shoulder in the opening scramble, and uh, he missed the rest of the season. So are they promising not to go down that road for the theatrical side? Because if you're arguing that there's people who love football out there who miss sort of just the way the game was played, it can include that then. You can't, you can't be a person who's looking for the pure football with the hits, but also want to have like a, a wrestling match to start off the game. I, mean, I think it's a really interesting point, Loren. Uh, politics got brought up as well. Questions about whether Donald Trump would be involved in this venture, right? Vince McMahon has a, v- a very strong connection to Donald Trump. In fact, his wife, Linda, is part of Donald Trump's cabinet. And a lot of people forget that Donald Trump was one of the uh, masterminds of the failed USFL. He owned the New Jersey Generals and b- big part of that lawsuit against the NFL. Uh, non-compete and the whole idea of the NFL keeping the USFL out of certain markets. Do you remember that landmark decision where uh, the jury sided with the USFL? The judge didn't know what punitive damages to award, so he awarded them $1. (laughs) And based on American law or the state, it might have been in New York, uh, those damages are automatically tripled. So the USFL won $3 from the NFL. In an antitrust <laughs> litigation. So one of the things I read from yesterday's announcement was the um, people upset over the whole kneeling controversy, right? right. They want to take that kind of stuff out of football, which is, I, I, I don't know if that's a reason to start an entire new league or, or an excuse to say this is what we're not going to have in ours, and therefore this is another reason to come to us. There are some people who believe, I'm one of them, that part of Donald Trump's gripe with the NFL and the entire kneeling for the flag thing goes back to that USFL disagreement and that that idea because Donald Trump always wanted to own an NFL franchise and that was the way he figured he would do it. You remember the World Hockey Association? Mm-hmm. That's how Winnipeg got into the NHL, a rebel league. Trump figured they'd set up a rebel league and some franchise would ul- uh, ultimately would end up in the National Football League. It didn't work out and I think that's still part of his gripe with the NFL. Are there players that would want to come back to this league? I mean, it's too, not the ones that played before, right? It's 15 years later, but uh, who who wants to be part of this again? Well, I'm just, anybody looking for a shot at, a, at football and who can't get into the NFL probably would want to try. The, the, one of the things that McMahon did point out yesterday because the XFL is sort of remembered for its violence, for its gratuitous cheerleader shots, he did say in his press conference yesterday, family-friendly, uh, which is something that WWE has done as well over the last 20 years in the 90s. And uh, I was I said 1999 earlier. That first game was in 2001, pardon me. But in the no- late 90s, it was very much not family-friendly, mm. and it has gone back to try to be more family-friendly. So I could see the... well, I, I don't know how you go to, pu- quote-unquote, pure football 
in a family-friendly environment. But he has said, I want the fans to help us decide. It's going to be an open forum. So, I mean, I'm really curious about this. I kind of wonder if he's off his rocker or if he really has something, has caught on to something here. Somebody suggested that the steroids that he's uh, maybe done or not <laughs> done is affecting his brain. Sounds like he's 115 and maybe maybe <laughs> affecting his judgment. Uh, I guess we uh, should press pause on this. Uh, if you'd like to feedback, 780-6868. We have cameras in the studio now. I, I don't know who can watch us exactly, but it makes me a little Behind the glass jerry can. Nervous. Oh, really? Because every time I go in there, I get a little spooked. <laughs> I can watch you from our studios. You know, that one, you know what, we knew. And, and sometimes we'll be speaking to Adrienne and we'll... we'll We'll wave to her. What, do you, what were you guys doing over there? Is everything uh, all right? Well, let's put it this way. There was a uh, little bit of a problem with a head cord or headset cord <laughs> stuck in a wheel. Yeah, that happens from time to time. It's okay now? Everything's you know, fine. Kelly, Kelly fixed it. If you guys hadn't blown the whistle, no one would have known. Yeah, well, except the people watching on the camera. We call this the vacuum of honesty around here, the microphone. <laughs> and so Brett and I may be overly uh, sharing. We're overly, overly sherry around here. Yeah. Hey, for many of us, it's a chore to wash our vehicles in the winter. Brett just confessed that, nah, that that's no problem. Not really much of a chore at all. I just don't do it. Uh, well, it's... I'm just, I'm lazy. <laughs> okay. No, you're I'm not. lazy. Yes, I am. I've been telling myself to, to wash the car because what happened was I had all the dirt on it from before yeah. it warmed up. And now I have that secondary layer of dirt from since it's warmed up. I don't even remember what color my car is. <laughs> well, some people would suggest all that dirt, that salt is not good for the paint. But if the salt can't get to the paint for the dirt. Protection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe you need to tell the de- dealer to get lost with that rust protection. We don't need it. We got dirt. It's not lazy. That's practical. You're going to wash it. You're going to go back out there. Two days from now, it's going to be dirty again. That's smart. Yeah. That's Lauren McNabb. I'm Greg Mackling. He is Brett McGarry. We've got Shanley Vidal, Kelly Moore. That's four M's in the studio I right know. now. And behind the glass, Jerry, we're having coffee and we're talking about do you wash or how often do you wash your vehicle in the winter? Lee, I know you've got a kind of a love-hate relationship with your vehicle. How much love do you get, give it in terms of a bath? <laughs> well, not very much love at all. I'm afraid. I've never seen you blush before. <laughs> was it the bath comment? No, it, it's no, but you know, and and like Brett said, I, I'm she, she, I'm not quite sure what color she is. She is supposed to be a burgundy-ish color, but she's looking more uh, brown or gray. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Like Loren said, she's just gonna get dirty. You know, you'd have to do it practically every day in the winter. And you know, what? I don't drive a lot for the most part. It's just here and back, and then um, I'm maybe with my boyfriend or with other people or taking transit. And it's funny though because she's like she's an old car, and you can tell she's been she's been knocked around a bit. And if I had a new car, I'm sorry to say this, but maybe I would treat her a little nicer. Oh, maybe it's the my. dirt that's still keeping her together. Well, that's the thing. I know she's 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 a tough car. She's uh she's 
been through the, a lot in her lifetime. And it's funny because there's another vehicle that parks in the parking lot. Like, you can tell my car has been through a lot. Part of it's hanging on the ground. And there's another car <laughs> that has, it's also a little smashied up. And always, every day, that car is parking practically right next to mine. Oh, really? So it's like my car has a friend. Kindred yeah. spirits. Yeah. It's a kinship. Yeah. Kelly, you're fussy as all heck. How often do you wash your car in the winter? Usually once a week. Oh, boy. Like regardless? Wow. Yeah, Saturdays I usually go to uh, Ed's on, on Pandora. You probably know where that is, uh, Brett. That's I in do. your neighborhood there. Yeah, I, I don't give it the full wash. Uh, like last Saturday, for instance, driving there, I thought this is going to be an exercise in futility. So I just give it a rinse, and I swear to God, I I went down to the uh, uh, cro- or whatever it is, Crossroads or you know the big shopping center there. By the time I got there, it looked like I hadn't even touched the car. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just do it because I live in fear of that uh, stupid law that if they can't see your license plate, you get a ticket. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I think just even for that, I try to keep the license plate, the, the rear plate clean. Now, Kelly, I want to ask you a question that's going to throw anyone who's just tuning in right now for a loop. Okay. Do you wash the undercarriage? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That is good. Are you supposed to? Yes. Cleaning the undercarriage no. is a very good idea. On all typically, counts, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. I want Kelly to come for a ride with me home because my inside of my car matches the outside. <laughs> like if you, if you feel like fishy crackers or like a smashed up granola bar. Oh, yeah, that's, like a my, yeah. Yeah. that's my wife's car. She has to, she's daycare taxi. So yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's her car. The yeah. other thing I would say about my car, she's clean on the inside. Like there's not, there's like no wrappers lying around. Really? There's no like, you know, McDonald's bags or anything like that. She's she's pretty clean on the inside. Jerry, we haven't heard from you. You were laughing over there, but we haven't heard from you, really. No McDonald's wrappers in my car, either. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. We know all about that. Yes, but what Mr. About, Vegan. What have you got? Banana peels and uh, yes. carrot shavings kicking around in there? Like, what have you got? All that stuff. I like to peel my carrots while I'm driving. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Vegematic uh, on the passenger seat. Yeah, uh... I, I wash, you know what, this year is, I've been pretty bad. I've only washed it once since probably oh November. Word. I've washed it once since November. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but every time I go to do it, I'm like, well, it's too cold out. If oh, I if I wash it now, it's just going to freeze and I won't be able to get out. Oh. It hurts your heart? <laughs> it does. How can you guys do that? <laughs> I, I don't remember the last time I washed mine. No. I don't know. Sarah, Sarah does hers that's like a, once a week. That's a super good point Jerry just mentioned, because actually my boyfriend took my car in January and washed it. When you mark and it I by the trapped. month, that's not good. But pay attention to the weather. If you know that it's going to be a run of really cold weather, wash your car a day or two ahead. Yeah, How am I supposed to know what the weather's going to be like? Of all the things I have going on in my life, the last thing I need to do is add to the schedule. <laughs> Check the weather, then see Adriana if I can wash it today, and then go home and make sure I buff it. I mean, no. Just the best Somebody thing about minus 20 is the fact you can wash your car and it's clean for however that cold snap is. It's the best thing You just can't it. get out. Yeah, that's that. That is not everybody has somewhere to to take it and park it indoors. And my car has a gap in the driver's side, so where the water will get in and cause a ice barrier. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once uh, I washed my car in in really cold weather in the winter, and then I couldn't get into it, so I had to. This goes back to when I was a teenager. Is my parents' Pontiac. 6,000, or the 6,000, as we called it in we French immersion. That. That's really? <laughs> and uh, it was frozen, so we had a remote start. So I had to start the car, I think, three or four times and let it heat up from the yeah. inside. Oh, my word. So that I could then kind of, 
give it a once over with my shoulder right. to crack the ice and get in. I ripped the handle right off my sister's grand am one time and uh, in the frozen cold. Uh, lots of uh, advice on washing cars, including from Mick. He says, rocker panels are the one part of the vehicle to ru- rust the quickest. Yeah, we, we, we the know. What? Rocker panels underneath the, the, the undercarriage. undercarriage. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mackley McGarry. And McNabb on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb from Global Television. And just before we go ahead, can I just tell you guys a quick funny story? Uh, a couple of days ago, uh, an ex-girlfriend from like 20 years ago reaches out to me. I'm just giving you the very short version of the story. It was just, she listens to CJOB. So she finally just said, so the morning show, hey? And I said, yeah. It must be kind of weird for you, I guess, to have to hear my voice in the morning. And she she said, (laughs) proceeds to say, well, I like the information and the format, so I guess I have to get over it. And two, and this is the best part, I have tons of practice ignoring your voice anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Listening for the purpose of uh, ignoring. I I don't know if that adds up. I don't know. If anybody's ignoring, if they're listening, hopefully they're not. Anyway, so, anyway, I just thought that was funny. That's fantastic. <laughs> I had a good laugh. So. I love it. Um, families living in the Sage Creek neighborhood worry their children will not be able to attend the brand new school built in the area. A coal Sage Creek school opened its doors to students in September 2017 and has already hit capacity. Last week, the school had its official ribbon cutting, and just yesterday, it held an overpopulation meeting. Ah, this is just a bizarre story, if nothing else. Azar Premji, Global News reporter, has more. Kids are... For the Comzac family, this is home. Can you show mommy where the princess sleeps? We built this home, we picked the lot. They built in the growing Sage Creek neighborhood because of the six and a half minute walk to the new school. They're going to be taking the school out from under us. We can't move. It's not good. A Cole Sage Creek school opened its doors five months ago, and the kindergarten to grade eight school has already surpassed its capacity of 600 students. Thanks for coming, guys. We basically sold our home. We moved to Sage Creek about four months ago, five months ago, just so we could be here when our granddaughter goes to school. This grandmother doesn't know where her granddaughter will start her first year of school now, since there's no space. It's disappointing. It's sad, the fact is that we all moved to the area because of that. Families and the school division both saying portable classrooms could be a temporary solution. We have uh, asked government for four relocatables. To this date, uh, government is saying that's not uh, on the table. Have been asking for that second school for some years now. Until a solution is found, the division says it'll work to keep siblings together and will likely have to bus the rest of the students to other schools. It takes a village to raise a child is absolutely true and by removing a child essentially from a village you're causing so much damage. Zara Premji, Global News. Now the school's capacity, 600. Five months into the first year, it's already at 627 students and expects to keep on growing. As far as Sage Creek is concerned, I... That's, this seems like a neighborhood that has just been plagued with sort of growing pains right from the start. They had the issue, too, with the turnoff there and how to build up um, the boulevard, right, in terms of the turning lane, because there's all these people coming in, how to slow down the speed, because suddenly you had thousands of more cars on Lajamodier going into there. I mean, but, it, but the school issue is a big one, because in 2013, before this current school was even under construction, they had already said, wow, we've got 
thousands of people out here. We need a second school, and that's 2018. And 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 where are they? Right. So you know, we keep using the reference uh, when talking about Waverly West and its population and its eventual population. We compare it to Brandon. Mm-hmm. And Loren, you and I are both familiar with Brandon. There are three high schools in Brandon. Two of them are very large. Are two of the largest well over a thousand kids. Yeah, in all those. two yeah. of the largest uh, high schools in all of Manitoba. And I'm looking at a map of Brandon right now, and I count in Brandon one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty schools. Of some level, either elementary, junior high, or high school. 20. I don't know if that's a planning thing or if it's just foresight or what it would be because the brand new school that opened in Waverly West a year and a half ago is also at capacity. Um, So you have these communities that build the schools and then the population, the people come and it doesn't have the amenities. A lot of people will say, and a lot of people listening that don't live in those neighborhoods will say, well, why would you move to a neighborhood like that? Why would you move to a new community when there is no school, can you comment on that, Lauren? The, well, the mom in that commu- in Sage Creek moved to the school, uh, moved to that area before her daughter was even born four years ago. Now her daughter's at kindergarten age. Five years later, she moved six and a half minute walk from that school. The school's not there anymore. I moved to a bedroom community with the promise from the realtor that there was a new school coming. That was seven years ago. The school is still not under construction. So the you move to that neighborhood, you ask those questions. You say, "Where's the school going to be? Where's the you know? Is it going to be a?" Shop? or a Tim Hortons or whatever, and you get told these things are coming, and they don't come, or they come far later than they said they were going to. Well, the Tim Hortons always shows up. Yeah. The co-op gas bar always shows up. The not McDonald's the always shows up, but Usually not the Usually there's an LC, too, I Yes, think. the LC. The government's very good at opening the liquor store in the neighborhood in the brand new development. Not so good with the schools and community centers. So who does that fall upon, then? Is it the city? Is it the province? The Is province. it the, the, the developers who are selling this stuff? Uh, because this seems to be happening, and no matter which new development, there are, this is always a thing where, oh, yeah, we'll make all these promises are made. Like, I remember visiting friends in Sage Creek, I want to say six, seven years ago, where there was one way in, one mm-hmm. way out, and it had snowed a little bit, but it was drifty, and I could barely get out because it was just this big, wide open street that's in right. and out. So, right there, that's just another example of poor planning that they didn't think of that. So I don't know. I would be, I'd be really frustrated if I moved in on the basis that all these things are going to be there. And then when push comes to shove and it's not there. The school's a hard one, though. Like in 2016, the province had 16 schools on their list. Sorry, 18 schools requests for new schools, right? 18 requests for new schools in 2016. That jumped to 31 in 2017, right? And so you have 31 new schools that people want. At millions of dollars, I mean, what are they going to grant? Maybe four of those requests a year maximum? That's a lot of money. But, you know, we're experiencing unprecedented population growth. Like in Winnipeg, the most and the highest percentage that we've seen in decades upon decades. If I build a house, if I build a house, I always try to, to boil it down to things that I know. Uh, if, if I'm building an infill house, I cannot get a demolition permit to tear down the old house until I have a building permit approved for the new house because they don't want me to create an empty lot. Before I can do anything, I need a permit for my foundation. Then I need a permit and an inspection for the framing. And then I need a permit and an inspection for the electrical, for the plumbing. All these things, there are all these thresholds that need to be met 
if I am a, you know, a person building a home, if we're building a community, why do we not have the same thresholds for the same sorts of infrastructure? You cannot build past road Y until there is a school in place. We cannot build this neighborhood until there's a recreation complex in place. Why do we not have these same thresholds for development? It must be a threshold, though, for population. So, Doesn't seem to be. Well, if it gets to a certain population, are you going to get that school? And then in other neighborhoods, you have schools that are actually have tons of room. And so they're saying we have the space somewhere else. We'll just get on a bus and go there. 714 on 680 CJOB. Last word, Greg? No, I, and you know what? And that's another part of the conversation that, that needs to be explored. If there is capacity elsewhere, uh, then then we can talk. But I'm convinced that the capacity issue is all over the city. It's not just in the new developments. You played the bagpipes. I love the bagpipes. You did a great job on that. You're welcome. Coach Potatoes are in full effect in the studio. Loren McNabb, Greg Mackling, along with the Coach Potatoes, Brett McGarry, and Jeff Braun. Call me by your name, Greg. I thought we already went over this this week. Oh, right. Greg, I wouldn't even know how to go about that, Jeff. I'm sorry. It's far too early for me to conceive and and, uh, invoke such uh, concepts. Uh, What's going on in movies today, uh, uh, I guess this weekend? Oscar-nominated Best Picture, Call Me By Your Name is being released. That's what's going on. So what do you do around here? Read books, transcribe music. Swim at the river, go out at night. Sounds fun. All right, later. So this is set in 1983. First of all, this movie's been playing in like limited release for weeks, I think since November, but finally opening here in Winnipeg, and I think it's getting a wide release now that it is, in fact, a Best Picture nominee. Set in the 80s in northern Italy, and uh, Army Hammer plays uh, sort of a doctoral... Uh, student who falls for this 17-year-old kid that's uh, over in this town. Yep. And it's kind of a forbidden romance, I right. think. So, But apparently it's just a real, me- really like mesmerizing super film. Good. And the kid's dad is played by Michael Stuhlbarg, who is also in Best Picture-nominated movies, The Shape of Water and The Post. So he's in three of the Best Picture nominees this year. What so I think heck? he automatically wins the Oscars just for that. I wow. just had to Google Army Hammer. <laughs> He yeah, was the, one of the Winklevoss twins in the social network. Right. Oh, those. yeah. There you go. Good just for in you case for, you're trying to picture that. Good for you for making that reference instead of the Lone Ranger. Which yeah. is, <laughs> Not just a military tool, that guy. <laughs> yeah. And the other one, uh, very quickly here, Maze Runner, The Death Cure. This is the third film in this series, kind of like the Hunger Games and the Divergent series based on books for teenagers. I have not seen any of them. They look pretty cool, but... I, th- I think even if we haven't seen the first two, we could probably go to this one and they catch us up pretty quick. It's like Young and the Restless? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Previously on The Maze Runner. That's all. still alive. Couch Potatoes tomorrow. That's it? That's it? Yeah. I gotta go. Couch Potatoes tomorrow afternoon. Oh, new time. 12 o'clock tomorrow. Uh, I'll be there. And you can subscribe to the podcast as well. Google Play and iTunes. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, and Brett McGarry with you in the morning. And uh, earlier this week, we brought you the story of a brutal assault at a d- downtown 
bus shack. The suspect is now in custody. This this event is bringing more attention to the growing problem of safety in our downtown. The mayor of Winnipeg will join us in about nine minutes' time. But right now, we are joined by Chris Meineker. He is senior executive officer at the University of Winnipeg to talk about the issue. Loren? That's a big one for you guys. I know in the fall, you were really concerned with what you were seeing on campus. There was a couple stabbings, a couple thefts. This is just down the street from you at Portage Place. And the question for everybody, you got thousands of kids coming to the campus. What more can be done to help keep them safe, Chris? Yeah, it's a great question. This is uh, like the safety and security of our students, staff and faculty is the foundational concern of the university. It's our top priority. So, yeah, I mean, like, this is very concerning. We certainly are seeing like an, an increase in the number of incidents. So what we did uh, in November is we increased security by a third. So there's a noticeable increase in security on campus. People are seeing like, you know, more security guards on campus and uh, we're doing uh, our level best to try to keep a safe campus. I think the reaction for many parents who have kids that go there and students that we've even talked to, though, is that it doesn't really feel like enough yet because there's that feeling of when the sun goes down, maybe they don't want to be on campus. And so you were just telling us that that more is hopefully coming, but you need to have the money for it. Yeah, that's right. So we just completed a full audit of our security. We've got the recommendations. Now we're going to be talking with uh, everybody on campus. We're working with police. Uh, we think the mayor's announcement for the uh, the, the Bear Clan in uh, downtown in the West End is a positive move. But uh, absolutely, we want to make the security upgrades permanent. We're able to fund it this year, like in year, just because we're, we're pinching pennies. But uh, next year, we need to make those security upgrades permanent. And uh, we're talking with the provincial government about that. One of the attractions for me for the University of Winnipeg is just kind of where it is, obviously, in downtown Winnipeg. That's a that's a natural, should be a natural benefit in terms of getting there and all the amenities that are close by. But it's a double-edged sword to a certain extent because it is a very public place, right? You have public plazas. A lot of your buildings are open 24 hours a day. So that has to create a certain uh, difficulty in, in ensuring safety for everyone who's around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, so yeah, we have close to uh, 10,000 students. Um, We have another 4,000 sort of professional students who are coming to campus as well as, you know, faculty and staff. And uh, so, yeah, this is this is a major concern for us. I mean, you know, we we're responsible for a billion dollars worth of economic activity in the downtown Winnipeg. Um, it is a great place. Like it's a wonderful place. It's it's safe and secure for the most part. But uh, yeah, we are you know we are really trying to figure out how it is that we can you know maintain safety and security. That billion dollars in economic activity uh, is that an annual figure? Yeah, that's annual. Yeah. So we uh, we just actually were working with a couple of our uh, economics professors, and uh, they provided an analysis. And this is you know according to economic analysis, which. I don't particularly understand, but it's all the money that uh, I don't know, either. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's all the money that uh, students are spending. So you know, they come down and uh, they go out and you know eat lunch, and you know, so all of the money that we're putting into upgrades on campus, and you know, just all the money that that goes through the University of Winnipeg is is a billion dollars worth of economic activity. I don't think anyone's going to argue with the what what the U of W adds to the downtown. On the same side, you're saying you need to make these upgrades. You need about $750,000 to improve security on campus. A, what would that look like? And B, if safety is of the utmost importance, isn't it of the utmost importance to just find that cash no matter what? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So so we are in conversations with the provincial government. Uh, we we think that they are you know hearing us. We're, we're hoping that they're taking us seriously. We think that they are. 
Um, so yeah, but but we want to take a look at everything that we can do. Um, we are an open campus. I mean, it's the same as a library or a shopping mall. Um, but uh, yeah, we we want to look at you know secure spaces so, so students can go and use their swipe cards and get into a get into a room or a library and you know they can you know do that but that costs money and also too like we want to make this security upgrade so we need to pay security guards to be our eyes and ears on campus and to be a deterrent right so so you'd be looking at more of a pass card system where everyone would swipe to get into every building and if you didn't have that you don't get in yeah, it's it probably won't be that. Like there will probably be still, you know, common areas that are accessible because there's events that are going on. Like we're doing 600 events, you know, like per year. And so, you know, it gets cold in Winnipeg and if you're forcing people to sort of walk through one central entrance, they sometimes have to walk three, four blocks and you know, especially if there's an event going on. Um, so, yeah, so there will still be, like, some some open areas, absolutely. And also, too, I mean, like, there's kids in that neighborhood who aspire to go to university. And if we just lock the doors, then that's not the message that we want to send, right? Like, we, we want to reach out to those kids. We're doing, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, tons of stuff. Um, we have the Axworthy Recplex. We're getting 2,000 kids per week through that facility, and uh, we want to reach out to those kids, and we want them to aspire to come to the university. So locking the doors is not the message. I mean, you had the football, the Blue Bomber Mm -hmm. football camp started there yesterday. Uh, I'm part of a group uh, that hosts annually at the Duckworth Center. We do Hoops from the Heart uh, for inner city kids, a basketball game. We draw like 400 kids from the inner city. We bring them, we give them all a basketball, you know, these sorts of things. Recap all the events were there. You know, right, exactly. And so the mission statement here on the website for the University of Winnipeg and Security uh, Services, I think is a worthy one. The mission of the University of Winnipeg Security Services is to provide a safe, secure and healthy learning, living and working environment for its students, faculty, staff, and visitors. And I think this is the kicker, while preserving a philosophy of unhindered community access. And 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 before I let you go, what is the benefit of that unhindered community access, Chris? Well, and that's just it. I mean, like, so it really is about the kids in the neighborhood, right? And so these are, you know, it's, it is like, it's one of the, you know, uh, poorest neighborhoods in Canada. And so those kids need to be able to aspire to go to university. And so we draw them into the university through sports and through, you know, uh, like after school and tutoring and all that kind of stuff. And we do not want to lock the doors. We want to maintain an open campus for the community. It's really important. I mean, like, so so no, we're not just going to lock the doors. We want to do it in a responsible way. And we want to make sure that, you know, that we are preserving, though, the safety and security of the students and staff and faculty that, that are there. Finding that balance with accessibility. Right? That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Chris Miniker, Senior Executive Officer at the University of Winnipeg. Thank you very much for paying us a visit this morning. We appreciate the studio time with you. So thank you. No, thanks. Absolutely. You guys are so much fun. I really appreciate it. To continue our conversation about downtown safety, joined now by the mayor of the city, Winnipeg, Brian Bowman, Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, and Loren McNabb with you. Mayor Bowman, thank you for your time and good morning. Good morning. Great music. (laughs) Always for you, my friend. Um, How concerned are you when an individual incident like the one we had this week in in the bus shelter at Portage Place occurs? You know, that's that's probably one of the most, uh, it's probably just on an emotional level, one of the most difficult uh, things about serving as, as mayor or, or serving as a member of council. Uh, you know, you obviously want to ensure you're doing what you can to protect the safety of the, the citizens that we serve. So uh, it was a brutal, uh, a brutal assault. Um, I, I, you know, we obviously can't thank the members of the Winnipeg uh, Police Service enough for their uh, professionalism in uh, apprehending a suspect uh, the other day. 
and doing it in a way that uh, it, it sounded like uh, really protected public safety because it, it even the pursuit could have gone uh, another way. And it sounds like they did uh, once again an outstanding job. Mayor Bowman, everyone in Winnipeg knows that that bus shelter is essentially a no-go zone unless you are with a group of your friends or going to buy dope. Why do we why do we continue to to let that happen right under our noses on the most major thoroughfare in the city? Well, I mean, look, the uh, one of the things the police have been implementing in recent years is a smart policing model. So this is using stats on on exactly that question. Uh, the operational decisions of the police service are obviously something within the purview of the police. But that being said, I still think there's a there's a role for uh, elected officials and for city hall, and that's why the 2018 budget that was passed just a, a number of weeks ago. Uh, for the first time, calls for the development of a multi-year downtown public safety strategy uh, using funds available from the Destination Marketing Reserve. And so uh, there's currently a a public service uh, report that's being prepared. It's going to come back with recommendations that will be considered by council that uh, will look at uh, enhanced outreach services, expanded foot patrols and security initiatives um, that can be part of that overall downtown uh, safety strategy. And that's to complement the the work of the Winnipeg Police Service, but we're talking about millions of dollars of investment that we're we're taking out of this uh, this destination marketing uh, fund. Do we have the millions of dollars to put back into it, though? Because it feels like we've been talking about this for a long time, and people will say we don't really need the report per, per se. We need the strategy now so we can get on it. So if it comes back and says we need X more foot patrols, we need all these security measures, and it's going to cost you ten million more a year, how much of a priority are we willing to make this to improve safety? Well, it is a priority. I mean, that's why we put it in the budget and why, that's why I let it. Um, look, there's a couple things that we're doing. First, we, we need to ensure the, the appropriate funding for the Winnipeg Police Service, and we're doing that. Uh, we increased the uh, budget once again for the Winnipeg Police Service uh, last year, so for this current year, uh, by $3.5 million. Um, this is the largest police budget in the history of the city of Winnipeg. First and foremost, uh, the police service uh, are the uh, obviously the professionals, but Earlier this week, excuse me. Earlier this week, uh, I did make an announcement with additional funding for uh, for for foot patrols, and so this these are the the, the biz groups, and so often these are the front line um, front line uh, folks that will connect to uh, police services and, and get our professionals out and involved when when it's needed, and so um, provided thirty thousand dollars to the downtown biz, thirty thousand dollars to the exchange biz, and thirty thousand dollars to the west end biz so they can expand and enhance their foot patrol, as well as uh, in addition to that, we provided funding earlier this week to the Bear Clan so they could expand their their foot patrol as well. So it's a combination of measures that we're doing. Um, It's, you know, funding to the police service. It's funding to some of these other organizations who are known quantities in the community who have a proven track record of of helping uh, many of our citizens. And then it's also looking at what can we do more with, with resources that we're able to uh, allocated City Hall for this this long-term downtown safety strategy. Mayor Brian Bowman uh, joining us live to talk about downtown safety and security after that vicious assault in the Portage Place bus shack a couple of days ago. Now, Mayor Brian Bowman, uh, a lot of people in the in city of Winnipeg, and we talk about this all the time, have a perception that downtown is unsafe. And we, you know, the over the years, there's been momentum building, and then more and more people are saying, you know what, downtown is safe. But what do you, do you fear that, I mean, this is a single isolated incident. Do you fear that this is going to set that perception back uh, significantly? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, look, there's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, these sorts of incidences, uh, wherever they happen, are not good for the area where they happen in. Uh, you are right. There, uh, there is a perception by many Winnipeggers that downtown isn't as safe as other areas of the city, and that's exactly why we're putting the resources in uh, that, I've just, uh, that I've just talked about. Um, the other thing that we're doing is just, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, went to, I went to university in Winnipeg, but also uh, went uh, to university in, in downtown Toronto. And, um, you know, I don't know the stats uh, in terms of, you know, comparables between the different cities, certainly when I lived there in the late 90s. But one of the things that I appreciated when I lived downtown was just there was a lot of people uh, living and walking in the streets in, uh, in, in that city and, and in other major cities around the world. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I'm really proud that over the last five years, we've added 2,000 more residents to downtown Winnipeg. We've never had as many people living in downtown Winnipeg as we do right now. And the migration is happening uh, where we are increasing the number of residents in downtown. If you get a lot more eyes on the street and and boots on the ground, um, that does help with perceptions of, of safety. I think part of the point and part of the one of the things people say, Mayor Bowman, is that the statistics don't matter. It doesn't matter what the statistics are in downtown Toronto or in Times Square. It's the feeling that you get. And I've been in downtown Chicago at four o'clock in the morning, walking home down Michigan Avenue to my hotel and not felt uncomfortable in any way, shape or form when a local Chicagoan might say, why in the earth would you have done that? Uh, It's about how you feel. And I think for the most part, people feel unsafe. Why do you feel that way, though? If if I could ask you the question, I mean, why, why did you feel comfortable in that circumstance, because there were because there were other people around, well exactly. lit, clean, yep. wasn't approached uh, every uh, hundred feet uh, uh, by someone asking them to for asking me to give them money. It's yep. you know it, it, it's it's almost too simple. <laughs> yeah, well, no, and I and I don't I'm not I'm not arguing with you. I I I agree. I think when you have a lot of other people around you, I think when it is well lit, when it's clean. Um, again, earlier this week, the safety announcement included $90,000 to take pride Winnipeg so they could, they could help work on litter cessation, graffiti control, the mural program, as well as the snow angels program. So a big part of that is just cleaning up the downtown. Take pride is helping with that. So is the downtown biz and uh, making sure the resources are there. So this is a, this is something that a lot of people, a lot of good organizations are doing a lot of good work and there's clearly more work we're going to continue to do, but um, I, I think one thing that was lacking for, for many years was really this, uh, you know, let's, let's look for additional resources, in, including the additional resources to police, and that's what we've been able to find. And I'm pleased that Council um, supported that effort in the budget. Mayor Brian Bowman, thank you very much for the access, as always. We appreciate yeah, it. My pleasure. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for the questions. Appreciate it. All right, you too. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live on 680 CJOB. One, two, three. I am Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb is here from Global Television, and Shanna Levadal is here. Three things. It's time for three things to look forward to this weekend. Hi, Shanna Lee. Good morning, Brett, Greg, and Loren. You're not going to be able to enjoy any of these things. No, because, uh, yeah, as of noon today, I'm headed to the airport to head to uh, London. Fantastic. That's fun. We're excited for you. We really are. It's the uh, Women's Roller Derby World Cup in Manchester. Have a fabulous time. I'm going to have a great time. So we'll have three things with Tristan Field-Jones next week. Yes. (laughs) Okay, we'll have a great time. (laughs) But Uh, but you're leaving with us a list of things to do this weekend. Of course. 
course. You're of so course, kind. You wouldn't expect anything less of me, I'm sure. Absolutely not. So the first one, we have a huge street hockey tournament happening tomorrow in Osborne Village. It's the the Village Winter Classic, and it's so big, so big, that Stradbrook is going to be closed to all traffic. So heads up, closed to all traffic between Osborne and NASA, and that's going to start at 6 a.m. and go uh, the whole day. 6 a.m.? Yeah. Wow. Hardcore so, hockey fans. Exactly. That's serious, Brett. Three rinks, over 40 teams, all kinds of skill level. And the teams are going to be comprised of three players and one goalie, making the tournament a four-on-four game. And, of course, teams can register, and there's a few different categories. There's the family team. So this is a mix of all different ages. This one sounds really neat. Parents, kids, and grandparents. Greg, that sounds like something you might be into. Uh, yeah, if I wasn't feeling the way I was feeling, I think I might drag my kids and uh, get in on this. There's also the competitive adult team, and it can be all male, female, or co-ed mixed teams of adults. And there's going to be musical entertainment at a covered stage, and there's a heated hospitality tent as well. And I hear they have hot chocolate. <laughs> Yes, yes. What about hospitality tents? Can they not just call a beer tent? I understand there will be beer gardens. We just lost our CRTC license. Way to go, Loren. These are not rules. You broke the radio station in two days. Never told me. We we often will crack beer on this show, so (laughs) (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) I'm a little fearful of what I'm going to be coming back to. You should be fearful. You should be worried. Okay, so this, this next one. Uh, wouldn't have normally gotten my attention. Why not? Well, because it's something that happens all the time, yes. every year, but there's something special about it this year. So the WWE, their Royal Rumble is on Sunday, and mm-hmm. so that's a huge treat for wrestling fans. A Royal Rumble is when you have 30 wrestlers, and you, I guess you put them all in a cage. Is that right, Brett? No cage. No just, cage? Uh... Just they're all in the rink, and it's a big free-for-all, and they're all... Battling at it together? Yeah, it's, it kind of has a battle royale sort of feel. They come in one at a time. There's a new competitor every minute or every couple of minutes. Someone new enters the ring. So you can potentially have 30 people in the ring. And there's and lots it's, of drama. And then last man throw, standing kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, okay. you got to go over the top to be eliminated. So, yeah, sounds super fun, super dramatic. Okay? But normally they wouldn't have gotten my attention because that, that happens all the time, right? Yeah. But what's exciting, and uh, we're going to add more drama and entertainment because... That the first match of the men's 30, 30 men Royal Rumble, it's going to be followed by an all women Royal Rumble. First time ever that this is going to be happening. And uh, here is WWE Stephanie McMahon back when she made the announcement in December. Because of you, the Divas division became the women's division. You became the superstars and the headliners, main eventing just like the guys. But that's not enough. What do you say, ladies? You make history once again. On January 28th, the road to WrestleMania kicks off. We will have, for the very first time, an all-women's Royal Rumble match. You know, it's funny that this also makes me kind of sad because, like, I used to be a big wrestling fan many years ago. Right. And I would have loved to have seen this. I would have loved this. And and because, like, a lot of those those women wrestlers, too, they're role models. And the fact that they have, like, 30 athletic women who who can enter this competition, it's, it's, it's a really great thing to see. And well, now three things. We've mentioned Stephanie McMahon, Linda McMahon, and... 
Vince McMahon. Vince Watch McMahon all in one show. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. The McMahons so, are taking over. And so that's going to be broadcast on Sunday at pay-per-view, but it's also going to be shown at a few establishments. I think I know Tavern United in Windsor Park is going to be showing it. And uh, by the way, the winner of those Royal Rumbles is going to compete, as you figured, at WrestleMania 34 in April. Hospitality now, venues. Now, the <laughs> the thing that is interesting about this channel as well, and I, they, they showcased a lot of these women on Monday for the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. And uh, like they've always had a, a women's division. Oh, yes. Yeah. But there's sometimes there would be four, maybe five. And a lot of times they were hypersexualized. For example, uh, I don't know if you when you watched it, but Jerry the King Lawler would always talk about the women's puppies, you know, and let's see the thong. And that was part of the show. And on Monday, he actually made reference to the puppies. And uh, Jr. good old Jr. said, just don't. Just stop it. He was kind of saying, like, okay, we're that's behind us now. The women's division is serious business. And as you pointed out, like, I actually like that the women's match on Monday was the best part of the show. It's re, the, the the wrestling is good, and these women are all serious competitors. So I think it's great that they are making this a part of one of their flagship events of the year. Oh, absolutely! And it makes me almost want to start watching wrestling again. Set your PVR. You watch <laughs> it next week. <laughs> so, are you ready for our number three? Let her rip. So. <laughs> You always make me nervous when you say that, Brian. Okay, so tomorrow, the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra uh, New Music Festival starts. The event is going to feature 15 world premieres and seven Canadian premieres. Uh, and that's going to be throughout seven shows that run until next Thursday. Uh, the festival is going to feature uh, iconic American composer Philip Glass in residence as com- composer and performer. There's going to be a focus on Iceland and a Canadian premiere of a work by Bjork. Nice. And so it's pretty great because you can check out something fresh and new. I know like one of my f- favorite events that I ever went to was a new music festival event. It was a horror themed one. And uh, Tracy Ooh. Dahl actually sang uh, this this. Dracula segment. It was it was so amazing. We had Dracula, Frankenstein, a couple other vampire pieces. And also, when you go, you buy your ticket. It's general admission. That means you can sit anywhere in the concert hall you want. You can even oh. sit in those fancy loges. Or oh, first row. Come on. You had me at loge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So that's, that's the only place I've never sat in the concert hall. Wow, Normally, I, I, I will try and go to first row mm-hmm. if, if I can sit anywhere. Just because I like to see them work. Although I'm, I'm told for optimum sound, you kind of want to sit around like maybe row 15, row 20, right in the middle. But So it's rush seating, basically? It is like rush just... seating, exactly. Hmm. Okay, well, and we're actually, our artistic director, Alexander Micklethwaite, is going to come see us at 9.30 to tell us more about this, the festival. So we're excited for that. Chantelie Vidal, thank you very much. Three things with Chantelie. Normally heard every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday Friday, but not next week. Because you're going to be roller derbying. That's right. Okay, have fun in Manchester. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, Loren McNabb is M-I-A. Again, same time as yesterday. We've been talking downtown safety this morning. We had uh, Chris uh, Miniker from the University of Winnipeg, senior executive officer there, talk about their security plan, their ongoing security struggles, and the mayor of Winnipeg joined us as well, Brian Bowman. We had, a, I think, a fairly fruitful conversation with him. At least the second half of that discussion, uh, I think, was fruitful, Brett McGarry. Yeah, it was an honest uh, discussion, and I liked uh, the little sort of interplay where he he became the interviewer, asking you why did you feel that way? Why do you feel? Why did you feel comfortable walking around Chicago? Because he was leading you somewhere, and uh, and it, yeah, it was a good chat. And he was saying, "Look, we need more people downtown, and we're getting the people downtown. The migration is happening, uh, but until we get more people downtown, 
they, it's going to, there will be that perception that it's uh, unsafe. That assault in a Winnipeg bus shelter at Portage Place, probably the top news story of the week so far. This is probably a very close second place, Brett. Yesterday, Winnipeg City Council voted to sell the old Vimy Arena to the province for $1. That means a major hurdle has been cleared for the site to become home to an addictions treatment centre. To get his thoughts on the vote, we are joined by Stephen Fletcher, who is MLA for the area for Assiniboia. Mr. Fletcher, thank you so much for joining us on 680-CJOB. Well, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. So, Mr. Fletcher, I, the biggest question I guess I have has to do with process and how this uh, land came to be. I, I, I've been perfectly transparent about uh, my feelings on the need for a treatment centre like this. I've had my concerns about the neighbourhood not necessarily uh, welcoming this treatment centre into their backyard. It's not going in my neighbourhood, so, I, you know... I, it's maybe not for me to say, but in terms of process with the city and how this land became available is a big question for me. And from your point of view, uh, what happened there? Was this land ever declared surplus by the city and was it available? Was it on the open market for others to consider proposing some sort of other development there? Well, no, it was never on the open market. The land um, was transferred from the city to the province uh, directly for a buck. It's worth $1.4 million uh, at a minimum. Uh, there is suggestion that the building is worth upwards of 4 or $5 million with about half a million dollars of repairs that would be needed. So uh, it's really a, about a 5 $5 million transfer to the province for a dollar. Now, Mr. Uh, Fletcher, oh, sorry to interrupt you. Continue, please. Oh, no, I was just going to also add, you know, it was what happened yesterday was a travesty of, of process. And it's no wonder the city is in uh, one scandal after another. They, the, we, we had a situation where we had one good cause lose to another good cause by one vote. Why not create a win-win-win scenario? If it was done properly, an inventory would have been done of what lands were available in the city, what would be best for the Bruce Oak Foundation, and the province would concurrently come out with their plan for drug addiction across the board. There are many issues here. And to do one and not the other and put good people against other good people is very unfortunate. And I don't want to get bogged down in any way in the process. You said by one vote. Um, which one vote would you be referring to, uh, Mr. Fletcher? I'm trying to uh, sure. sort that out in my head. Yeah, they they needed uh, two-thirds of council to transfer fair enough. park land. Okay, fair. So, so there was two councillors that were uh, not present. Uh, three councillors voted against. So 
You pick eleven four. You pick the next one. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, Stephen Fletcher, MLA for Assiniboy, representing uh, the area of the city of Winnipeg, where uh, well, at least it's the next step uh, has been the hurdle has been crossed in terms of uh, creating a Bruce Oak uh, treatment center. And when you you look at the geography of this, I know there's a lot of concern for a lot of people that it's in the the heart of a neighborhood. But we've been hearing right across Canada that part of the success of a treatment center like this is the fact that it's not out in the middle of nowhere, that it is, in fact, part of the community. Have have your uh, supporters come around on that idea in any way, shape, or form? Well, no. The, 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 the premise of your question um, is a, a tad um, misleading, and as was the were the proponents of this project in saying that uh, these things have to be in residential areas. I went to the facility in Calgary, which they are modeling um, this facility at, with the understanding that that was in a residential area. Well, I went there, and it is not in in a residential area. It is in a light industrial area. And I took video of the area. People can see it for themselves. And what doesn't show up on Google Maps is the topography of the location in Calgary. It is in a valley on two major roads. There is residential nearby, but you can't see it. It's it's separated physically from where this location is. Now, I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just something that the people in the decision-making process were misled about. And it's just as clear as day, and people can make their own decisions by visiting my Facebook page. But as we speak, Stephen, there are addictions facilities in Winnipeg, existing ones that are in residential neighbourhoods in Wolseley and Osborne. There are halfway houses in residential neighbourhoods. There are all sorts of facilities. There's Some of them are even in small towns in Manitoba. So these, these centres can function properly within a residential neighbourhood. It's it, well, that yeah, that that's yeah, sure, and that's but that's not the issue. Um, the issue is why did it take residential uh, recreation and parkland as the only choice? The only choice. There was no other um, uh, land that was considered. None. Zero. Zip. Why, when we have the Shriders Hospital on Wellington Crescent, that's a residential area, but it's already zoned for a hospital, and everyone around there who lives there knows it's zoned for a hospital. It is empty. It's owned by the province. Why spend $14, billion or $14 million to build a new facility when a few million dollars can be used to rehabilitate a gorgeous building, historic building, and repurpose it for something that would meet all the criteria that everyone wants. We could save parkland, and we could uh, uh, parkland recreational space, and we could um, maximize uh, the resources. Like, none of those studies were done. And the other aspect is, where is the province in this? Now that property belongs to Manitoba Housing. 
Manitoba housing, not not health, Manitoba housing, and that is beyond their mandate. There's nowhere in Manitoba housing mandate, and people can visit this on the website, to, to create um, drug rehabilitation facilities. Stephen so Fletcher. Uh, ZMLA for Assiniboia. Sorry to interrupt you, Mr. Fletcher, but we uh, we we got to wrap this up in about 60 yeah, seconds sure. here. But I do want to ask you, the Friends of Sturgeon Creek, we spoke with them last week, and they are comparing this to a David versus Goliath situation in, uh, in their perception. Is that one that you would agree with? And if so, why? Well, I, I, if that's how they characterized it, uh, if it, I, that's fair because uh, the uh, the process and uh, was predetermined. Uh, there was a predetermined outcome. The uh, uh, province wrote a letter to the city demanding that one piece of property. The city actually had no alternative but to say yes or no. And given the um, the nature of the two issues, um, uh, which are both worthy, I want to be very clear, they're both worthy issues, but they didn't have to be pitted up against each other. But they, it was done, I, I believe, by cynical politicians who wanted to um, create a a binary choice you're either for drug addiction or you're not and if you're if you're not in anyone who wants to protect urban recreational green space uh, you're not for drug re- which is an absurd choice but there's no plan for the province by the province current facilities are underfunded so why is that and why did we have to give up recreational land that had been promised to the people of, of Winnipeg and not have it go on the open market. Stephen Fletcher, MLA for Assiniboia. we got to leave it there. Thank you, okay. though, for your time. We very much appreciate it, as always. Uh, uh, thank you, and I appreciate CGOB and its uh, public service and public debate. Okay. Stephen Fletcher, thank you so much. MLA for Assiniboia. <laughs> Okay, I love the song. I'm not sure why he's playing it, though. Jerry, any reason in particular? Why, yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> a warming hut is a sanctuary. <laughs> There's always a connection. I, that's why I wanted to ask. She sells sanctuary. The cult. Fantastic. I met this man about four years ago on the river. Was down doing the Iron Man uh, curling thing on the river. And uh, there's this dude up on a ladder and he's fixing one of the warming huts. So I, I stroll over and I, I introduce myself and, uh, oh, what's the deal? What are you doing? And uh, he says, well, I'm fixing the hut. Oh, well, did, like, is that your job? Your worker fixing the huts? He says, no, I, I, I created the competition. Peter Hargraves is his name, Sputnik Architecture, and uh, by now this is uh, one of the great architecture competitions anywhere. Peter, great to speak with you again. 
Hey there, Greg. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, congratulations on yet another successful submissions period and now the unveiling of, of the Warming Huts. Tell us a little bit about how this all comes together every year. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's a big team effort. The About eight years ago when we started it, it was... Uh, there were about three of us. It was Paul Jordan and Dave Panko and I sitting in a room trying to figure out how to do things. Uh, now there's got to be a team of 40 people that are involved. And we have uh, Luca Roncaroni in from Norway again. He's our ice expert. So last week we harvested, or earlier this week, we harvested about 80 tons of ice out of the river again for projects. And uh, we have a team from Estonia, a team from BC, and a team from Mexico in from out of town. And then there's a big team from the U of M that's put together this uh, amazing project that they've worked on with the city of Winnipeg for a, a new bridge that uh, is being planned from McFadden to uh, Fort Rouge Park across the Assiniboine River. So, you know, it's got all these fingers that now stretch far and wide, and uh, all we're trying to do is um, hold on and enjoy the ride. Now I'm just looking at warminghuts.com, and one of these huts, uh, it looks like a, like a Minecraft version of a of a bison. Yeah, like it looks like a like a giant Lego creation. Yeah, it, well, it is a giant. I mean, Minecraft is exactly right. I I'm looking forward to seeing uh, my nephew down there because he's a big fan of Minecraft, and this thing is like a mind blowing Minecraft. It's uh, 12 feet tall. Um, and I hope somebody got footage of it getting delivered here because it would have been this huge, big golden bison, you know, whipping down uh, Pemina Highway. Uh, it's it's huge. It's uh, and it and it's sort of you know this very pixelated uh, version. There's no doubt what it is, but uh, the fact that it's golden and it's big, uh, and you know you can you can climb up inside it and kind of this nice cozy space in the belly of the bison. We, we keep using the phrase warming hut as you know as you can yeah. go in there and kind of sit down but they're really so much more than that now it's just this big display of art and and you mentioned you can go inside of all of them that's still the goal though, right to be able to go in and warm up or is it really now more about well, being different yeah, and unique uh, no I, I think there, there's a whole combination of things so um, I, I think if we had been you know very true to the words warming hut and we had created these little uh, um, cabins let's say with fireplaces in them then we would have uh we would have just ended up with uh a replication of your home and uh when it's really cold you kind of tend not to leave your home so if we can imagine putting up these little huts on the river people would maybe skate to the first hut and uh, huddle in the thing next to the fire and then decide you know what it's really cold out there i'm just going to go back to my car and go home uh when we created art and uh, they're not always warm or they're not, they're shelters generally. Um, what we're encouraging people to do is to skate and to walk and to be active and dress warmly. And um, that activity uh, is really the goal. Uh, to, pe- to put people on the trail and uh, make people active and make people enjoy winter. We're not going to do anything about the cold weather, but we can do something about how we behave in that cold weather. And I think, um, I think, uh, you know, while the name warming huts is a little bit ironic, we're not uh, we're not unaware of the irony. Peter Hargraves is our guest from Sputnik Architecture, producer of the Warming Huts competition. They will be the, this year's winners will be unveiled this week. And are they are they uh, out right now? Can you go down to the forks yeah, of the Red River Mutual Trail and see them now? 
Uh, no, they're all in the plaza. There's a press conference uh, later this morning, um, and a few of them have been installed. The team from Estonia designed a uh, hut called a totem. It's two black towers that you can climb up into and yell at one another from the towers. And then the other one is Guy Madden's hut, which is the Temple of Lost Things, which is under the Norwood Bridge. And, uh, you know, it's a sort of uh, whimsical and fantastical um, structure that uh, that's hanging and suspended under the bridge, uh, which is which would be nice to visit. And actually next week, Friday uh, evening, uh, a group from Winnipeg called Camarada Nova, a choral group from Camarada Nova will be performing uh, 17th century choral music inside that hut. Uh, so that should be quite uh, quite beautiful. The acoustics down there are very, very um, lively. Peter, uh, this competition, you know, lots of Manitoba flavor for sure, but 200 submissions from all over the world, supported by Manitoba Association of Architects, the Canada Council for Arts. And th- this is just something that I think has really taken on a life of its own. And, you know, at the beginning when you're trying to sell this thing, you know, you probably had people looking at you cockeyed and, and tilting their head a little bit at you. But could you imagine taking them away now? I don't think any of us could imagine saying, yeah. well, we're not doing this anymore. Well, a hole that it would create. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I hope it would create some kind of a, a riot. I mean, like a friendly Manitoban <laughs> riot. But uh, <laughs> some kind of a hue and cry about not having the things uh, we love. But, you know, it's it's uh, it's like the skating trail. I mean, the skating trail was really the initiator. It created this space. And, yeah, imagine imagine Winnipeg now without a skating trail and without raw almond and without warming huts. And, um, you know, in wintertime, it's, uh, it's the thing we look forward to. And, uh, you know, that, that for me is probably the biggest, uh, the biggest joy that I get out of this is, and seeing that and or hearing stuff like what you just said where we wouldn't want it any other way now. Peter Hargraves from Sputnik Architecture, producer of the Warming Huts competition, warminghuts.com for more information and to see the winning submissions. Peter, thank you so much for your time and thanks for doing this. Yet another cool attraction at the Forks. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. She is Lauren McNabb from Global TV. She sat in with us yesterday and today and joining us live in studio is Alexander Micklethwaite. He is the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra's music director. He is the artistic director of the new music festival which kicks off tomorrow and it runs until next thursday one of the highlights of the event includes iconic american composer philip glass in residence as composer and performer alexander thank you so much for joining us once again on hey it's really awesome to be here thank you so this is a cool event, and actually, I, I recently visited your office in the uh, the Richardson Building, mm-hmm. and I saw a beautiful picture from the Pan Am Pool. Oh yeah, where you did the uh, the Titanic performance. Uh, mm-hmm. That was part of the new new music festival, yeah. right? Two years ago, Titanic at the pool, and then last year was in the basement of the Bay, which was fantastic. Thousand people. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this year the big thing is, as you mentioned, Philip Glass, maybe the most important 20th century composer and still alive, obviously, coming to Winnipeg tonight and being here the whole weekend, performing himself on Sunday evening. Tomorrow we have the Canadian premiere of the 11th Symphony. Very emotional piece. So lots to talk about. It's very exciting.
You mentioned Philip Glass for you. Is it, I mean, what excitement do you feel? You haven't met him before, right? So he's no. coming too, so it's new for you too. <laughs> well, the thing, I never know like how composers are. You know, are they kind of nice? Are they getting mad with me if I don't do it right? Um, so with him, I mean, he's 80, 81, right? So it's like a big deal and I'm really thrilled. I mean, he's a celebrity, like literally. We just talked about basketball stars like Russell Westbrook and stuff. I was just Oklahoma City. And he's like above that. <laughs> wow. So, so, you know, just like Loren McNabb may have never heard of Michael Westbrook or even what sport the Oklahoma City Thunder also play. Did not right, know right, that. I have no idea who Philip Glass is, so please tell me, educate me. <laughs> well, I mean, he's on the scenes in 60 years, since the 60s. He worked with the Beatles and stuff. I mean, he's like um, this icon who's like revolutionized um, how um, composers wrote music. Now, if I would ask you guys, what's your favorite show right now, TV show? Mine would say like, I know, Game of Thrones, House of, well, not House of Cards anymore, Westbrook, you know, but those kind of shows. And one of the reasons is the music. Dottie, 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 Dottie. This is kind of weirdly like energetic, repetitive, emotional music that everybody is composing right now. Well, guess what? Philip Glass was the first who did that. And everybody else is kind of a disciple. <laughs> they all imitate him. And he started this in the 60s. When others in Europe, they, they, they composed music. Was like That was the music in Europe. And here, he completely simplified and made this like trance kind of thing. And as I said, very emotional. That's Philip Glass. Wow. It's all part of the story now, that music, right? It sets the scene. Oh, totally. It's part of the story and it's part of like how people now see almost the world. Like composers, um, Royal Canoe. I mean, they're all based on that in a way. So it's it's really awesome. So the, the new music festival is something that's been around for almost three decades now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a plethora of world premieres, Canadian premieres. Uh, we mentioned Bjork earlier. How does Bjork work into this? Is Bjork going to be here or we have a work from her? How's this well, working? Well, I mean, so here's the thing. As you might know, Iceland and Winnipeg or Manitoba have a real connection. There's the biggest Icelandic perform um, um, population outside of Iceland here in Manitoba. And uh, seven, eight years ago, I started this connection with Iceland. I went to Reykjavik, met uh, people from Sigur Ross, from the famous band. And um, we premiered several works already of Icelandic composers. So this year, we have actually Hilmar Hilmarsson, who was um, like the godfather of Sigur Ross, is here. Here in town, he came yesterday evening. We're premiering a work of him next Wednesday. And then Saturday in a week, we have this big world premiere of a film by Bill Morrison and a guy from Sigur Ross, Alex, uh, Alex Somers, is um, writing the world of music. We are doing the live performance with film. And now Bjork, the question, well, we thought, who else is Icelandic? And the lady with a swan dress came into my mind. It's like, yeah, I mean, let's, let's find some music. She wrote for orchestra. She She's not coming herself at this point, but it's a really, really fun piece that we are premiering tomorrow evening. No, also, you, you talked about TV shows, and uh, I see that on the Icelandic front, there's uh, one of the composers that you're, you're showcasing, Johan Johansson. Yeah. He's done work in uh, the movie Sicario. He also did the score for Arrival, both yes. films directed by, I always get the, the, the race car driver and the guy mixed up. Is it uh, Gilles Villeneuve was the, the yes. race, so it's Denis is the, the yes. film director from Quebec. And then there's a television show on Netflix called Trapped, which is from Iceland. Yeah. And this guy, Johan Johansson, does the music and all of it. And it's really amazing. And it's kind of, it's out there, but it's uh, very emotionally powerful. Well, the thing, I mean, um, I th didn't he win an Oscar almost or something? I mean, he's like really like in, in the whole Hollywood thing right now. 
like seven years ago, we premiered a work by Johan Johansson because when he wasn't so famous yet and suddenly his career exploded. So um, we have a really nice connection with him and we are, yes, we are singing a work on uh, Monday evening in Westminster, Johan Johansson, amazing composer. So thank you for pointing this out. Got yeah. a lot of big names coming. Has there been a big difference between, you know, a few years ago when you phoned these people up and said, come to Winnipeg versus <laughs> now? Well, that's a good point. Well, yes, but also I must say money counts. <laughs> and we have... They don't do it for free. No, right? they don't do it for free. So in this, Philip Glass, we have this fantastic person in town, Michael Nesbitt, who is a big contemporary arts collector, a real friend of the symphony. And he, well, he stepped up, I must say, and he's like, okay, man, what do you want to do? That's what you want to do? Boom, let's make it happen. So when I think of new music, is that aimed at someone like me, someone who maybe is a little bit of a Luddite in terms of symphonic music and uh, the world outside of Foo Fighters and Van Halen? Or are you aiming this at people who have a genuine love affair with symphonic music? Who's this aimed at? No, I mean, in this case, it's really what I said earlier. Everybody loves those TV shows and they are really based on, I feel like, some of this music. And if you think about it, if you would turn down the, the sound of Game of Thrones, if you would turn this down, I mean, you see the picture, it still would be exciting. But I mean, I bet that the emotional impact would be like only 20%. So now imagine you go to the stage to go to the concert hall tomorrow evening and fine, you don't have the visuals, you have an orchestra, but you have that emotional music that hits you at the core. That's exactly what it is. And um, man, just come down and, and feel it. Oh, we're going to miss you, man. Yeah. We are really <laughs> going to miss you. I was just thinking. He's so animated about it, right? You it's know, great. Uh, we've loved having you in Winnipeg. And uh, hopefully you're not going to, you know, forget about us. No. I, I follow you on Twitter and we're friends on Facebook. And how is Oklahoma City treating you oh. uh, in the little bit of time that you spent there so far before we let no, you go? No, they're really awesome also. I mean, we, I just, I mentioned I've conducted the national anthem of the Christmas uh, um, NBA game, the National Christmas Basket. Day. Christmas Day. There was like packed 18,000 people. Russell Westbrook, all those guys were in the back there and I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I was nervous. And it was great energy. So it's really fun. Yes. Fantastic. Thank well, you. congratulations on that. Thank you, guys. Uh, our loss is their gain, but uh, we know you're a Winnipegger at Thank heart. Thank you. I, I am actually. <laughs> Alexander Micklethwaite is the music director of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. He is the artistic director of the New Music Festival, which begins tomorrow and it runs through February 2nd. You can get more information at wnmf.ca or you can link to it from the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra's website, wso.ca. Alexander, thank you so much for the visit. Thank you, guys. Real honor. Thanks. Looks like the break's over, huh? Yeah. Gonna have to start plugging that car in again. Yeah. It was fun while it lasted. You'd be surprised how far you can go without plugging in your car. Oh, it's yeah. like a oh, daily. Really? I'm one of those. You roll the dice, yeah, huh? every time. Gambler, Loren McNabb. Yep. It's been a great uh, couple days with you, Loren. Jeff Courier's in to spoil the party. It looks like we're getting an adult dose of winter here this weekend, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, how are you doing, man? I'm well. It's, uh, it's a great day. Uh, lots of things to talk about today. And this is the toughest conversation of all. With, with the Patrick Brown case, with the Kent Herr case, uh, where are we at these days? I'm, I'm going to ask some questions for which I, I don't think we have clear answers yet. We're still, as a society, grappling with a lot of these issues. How far back in somebody's past do you go? How, how egregious does the behavior have to be before a career is lost? 
Uh, is a one-time incident enough? Does it have to be repeated behavior? I, I don't know the answer to those questions, but I want to ask those questions today. Well, can we ask Loren? Uh, I mean, not to put you on the spot here, Loren, but when you hear these accusations coming forward, and some of them go back a, a little ways in time, some of them... Um, we asked the exact question Jeff is asking. What is the statute of limitations on this stuff? As a woman, how do how do these how do these charges, these allegations, how do they sit with you? Well, I think it depends on the person's experience. It depends on what what the action was, what the behavior was. If it, if it's language that was used, was that what was acceptable forty years ago? And then forty years later, we've come to realize we should never have been saying those things in the first place. But if it's physical violence, if it's you know sexual sexual violence or anything like that, I mean, I think if if you sit on that for thirty years. That's your choice, and you, you you choose to speak out when that's comfortable. And I, I don't think you can put a statute of limitations on that. But it's it depends, I think, on on what what the action yeah. was. Yeah, we don't we don't have those sort of clear cut, uh, you know, in stone tablet kind of rules on these things anymore. So, but I want to get I want to kind of take the pulse of the community on this and find out what folks think about these things. You know, no, nobody nobody loses their job because they say nice shoes. <laughs> right? I mean, that doesn't Well, happen. there are some men what? out there that are under the impression that all of a sudden you can't say that. Well, well come men, on. Men are becoming more cautious. Here's the difference, sure. though, I think. I had a conversation with a girlfriend who had a had a job that uh, was around a lot of men. And when I think back to the things she used to tell me about what would happen in her workplace and the things and the actions and, and very highly mistreated and you might even say assaulted in some ways um, and we didn't do anything about it because it was supposed to be supposed to accept that. But I think it would be acceptable for now for that person in that circumstance to come back and speak about those things because it actually wasn't right then and it's not right now. You know, it, it, it depends on the conversation and the accusation being made. Oh, and listen to this. Reba McIntyre is a new Colonel Sanders. Love it. McGarry and McNabb on 680 CJOB. 